Hello and welcome to Absurdity, where we discuss all things absurd in religion, culture, and society. My name is Ryan Becker, and I am joined by my wonderful, lovely, elegant co-host, Henry Johnson. And today we are going to be diving elegant. into... I like it. Elegant. You always, always flatter me, Ryan. Oh, yeah, you know. You know, I've, that's what I live for, is flattering you specifically. And so I look for it every opportunity I can. I think, I think we could all use a little bit more affirmation in the world. Um, yes, we should have affirmation from random places to beautiful places. It's just, it's great. Yes. So today we are going to be discussing uh, Billie Eilish and her statements on uh, the damage that uh, she has said pornography has claimed or has done to her and, and her view of sexuality and, and her experience with, with sex and sexuality as well. Um, so a bit of a trigger warning there for anyone who is uh, who finds those topics sensitive and 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 difficult to to listen to, and there are going to be links in the show notes or episode description, uh, video description on YouTube for you to dive into. But uh, before we Great do, Henry transition was from me, affirming to not affirming. That's right. Uh, <laughs> there, there there is this amazing thing that Henry told me just before we recorded, and I wanted to I wanted to give him the opportunity to share it here because I just think this is hilarious. Because Henry, you're you're a church pastor. I am officially I've yes. officially exited professional ministry, um, so I'm no longer I would no longer be considered, and there's no there's no twisting of logic for me to be called a pastor anymore. But for uh, for you, you are officially a full-time pastor, uh, pastoring your church. And, and so you had an amazing, we're recording this a week before Christmas and you had an amazing experience that I think is absolutely hilarious. And I would love for you to share it. All, all right. Real quick, as far as affirming in random places. So we're having, you know, Christmas being a big season. One thing a lot of churches do is something called a candlelight service, which is a lot of like a lot of carols and an enacting of the Christmas story, usually like kids in costumes and, and, you know, think that kind of thing. Uh, it usually happens in the evening. Some do it like 11 p.m. So when they're done, it's like Christmas officially when it's done, whatnot. Anyway, we're running one of those services. Well, to do a candlelight service, you really need candles, right? Well, me, let's pick on me and all the myriad of other things I was busy trying to get ready for it and coordinating with our musicians and everything else. Uh, somebody forgot to start looking for candles until like a couple of weeks ago. And I guess with supplies being what they are and whatever, not only are in-person stores like don't have them, right? Unless you're going to buy a whole bunch of regular candle sticks and multicolors. Anyway, you know, you want these little four or five inch candles and these little paper drip protectors and stuff. Think think like vigil candles, things like that you see after, you know, on the news for different memorials mm-hmm. and things. Couldn't find them anywhere. Amazon's out of stock, or if they have them, they're not going to arrive till after Christmas. Really defeats the point for having them for a candlelight service. And I went, great. Now we're not going to have any candles. I mean, I spent hours looking, went to stores. We couldn't find them. Leave it up to my wife, who's in logistics, who she makes a comment to me. She goes, well, maybe you should start word searching or playing off of words or look for things that might be the exact same candle, but they're not labeled, you know, either just regular candle or they're not labeled vigil candle. They're not labeled candlelight candle or, you know, because we were trying all that. So wouldn't you know, we managed to procure a nice box of the exact candles we needed. But now here's the funny thing. The way we found it and the reason why I think it was available is because they were specifically being marketed as seance candles for Wiccan services. (laughs) The exact same candles that the church would use. Different branding for seances. 
to don't, Wiccan don't call services. it Facebook, call it Meta. Like that's that's essentially the difference. It's the same it, thing, the exact same thing. But I guess you know Christians don't think go look for seance candles or don't you know go for the way. So I just want to go out there and say, as far as random affirmation, thank you Wiccans or at least companies that minister to Wiccans for saving Christmas. It just means a whole lot. That's a phrase that will be chopped and cut and be totally weird. But thank you, because your seance candles are going to help us celebrate the birth of Christ. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. (laughs) That is absolutely incredible. Um, And it was possible when you are not of the belief that, or when when you are of the belief that objects are objects, in a very objective way. Like, and, and that huh. seems like an obvious statement, but there is something to be said about those who believe that, that these objects are imbued a certain way because they were created for some specific service or, or ceremony. Or, yeah. It, it, you know. It's basically Romans. We could talk about that. It's does an object have intrinsic or imposed realities? And a lot of Christians have interpreted, this is not the topic. This might be a podcast for another time, but in short, a yeah, lot of absolutely. Christians <laughs> approach things uh, as being intrinsically, evil or whatever. So therefore, right, so I'm sure if I mentioned this to some church members, which <laughs> sadly probably won't, right, they would be like, what? That was made for whatever crazy idea in their head, sacrificing goats or whatever, you know, but it's the same freaking wax. It's the same, you know, wick, <laughs> wick for wick. Nice. Well anyway, that was right, all, all of this put together, it's just in a box that says for seance versus candlelight. But I have a funny feeling they both came from the same slave labor factory in China, Right, not to minimize yeah. slave labor or the fact that we need to deal with that too, but I'm just saying it's a candle. We yeah, get to probably, choose what to use I was, it that for. That was probably probably wouldn't probably wouldn't lead with that in the future. <laughs> probably wouldn't yeah. lead with that one. But I understand what you're saying. Like from the same source and same factory and whatever. I I get it. I and I do think that we need to talk about human trafficking and slavery too, because there is a reality behind Absolutely. clothes, and there's almost no way. Clothes and other materials, there's just pretty much no way to shop ethically anymore, <laughs> virtually. And yeah. so I, I do think that's a conversation worth having. And, and so that is something we, we are planning to go into uh, pretty soon here. Um, but yeah, so no, speaking of not you. ethical <laughs> yeah, or um, ethical, back to the topic, since now we're giving you sneak peeks of things we can talk about in the future. No, so Billie Eilish, uh, pop singer and, and artist a few weeks ago was... Uh, did an interview. She actually, in the same interview, talked about getting COVID and over the summer, not really telling anyone and uh, gave credit to vaccines for basically preserving her life because they reduced the uh, the symptom or the symptoms of COVID-19. Um, but in the same interview, and we'll link it down below, uh, uh, she said, as a woman, I think porn is a disgrace. I used to watch a lot of porn, to be honest. I started watching porn when I was like 11, Eilish told Howard Stern on The Howard Stern Show. I think it really destroyed my brain, and I feel incredibly devastated that I was exposed to so much porn. Uh, She said she began watching porn because she wanted to feel like one of the guys, quote. Uh, She said she believes watching violent pornography caused her to suffer from sleep paralysis and night terrors and distorted her view of sex. The first few times I, you know, had sex, I, I was not saying no to things that were not good. It it was because I thought that's what I was supposed to be attracted to. Um, and so this kind of launched a whole... Uh, these statements were controversial and also not controversial to a lot of people. You know, to a 
Um, to those in with a with a Christian background, it, it, it's almost not controversial. It's almost like, yeah, we, duh. Um, but it actually has sparked some controversy as well. But it 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 has reignited, I, I think, an important conversation, and it has shown a spotlight on it again. And the one thing that I that I know of of what I believe in within the Christian faith is the only way to get rid of darkness and get rid of areas in our lives that, that contain a lot of shame. And for me, this is an area of my life that, that where, where I would say most of my shame is found. The, um, the only way to really address those things is to shine a light and to actually bring them forward and talk about them. And so yeah. this is something that's really important to talk about. And uh, so we wanted to to bring that conversation here. I think there's this is a multifaceted conversation. And if you were expecting the the traditional response to what you would expect to Christians with pastoral experience and, and ministry backgrounds to say, you might be a little surprised here, but I don't know for sure. This is an open conversation, so uh, we'll see where it goes. But yeah, Henry, what were your thoughts on seeing this? You were the one that actually brought this to my attention. I didn't know this um, so I until you had brought it up. So yeah, what were your thoughts and, and your reactions to it? I mean, initially when I saw it, kind of like you said, it wasn't necessarily controversial. I read it and was kind of like, okay, so somebody else has seen the light. Mm-hmm. Um. But but the, after that initial temptation to take the thing out of the story that mattered to me and then move on, then I tried to pause and think about it, and, and I felt actually really sorry for her, right? Because the temptation is to take this article and then go off on a run like, see, we told you that whatever, but, but you know, t- to me, I was trying to think about the kind of the kind of courage, internal courage that takes to talk about that. The second thing, honestly, I thought of is I didn't even know Howard Stern still had a show that people listen to. But anyway, um, that's valid. You know, she's I can out, understand that. That's valid. I mean, but she's out there and and she's talking about it. And then it was it was more fascinating to me, not just because of the subject matter, or, or even the fact that she'd been wounded by it. Because I think you know our society is littered with people of both genders that are just wounded and littered by it. Uh, but the idea that this was a woman's voice talking about it, and that's not normally both as Christians or a society who we prioritize when we talk about pornography. It mm-hmm. usually is kind of like she said, you would expect more of the the male-oriented language. I mean, you even see it in her in her talking about it. She goes, I wanted to be one of the guys, right? Yeah. So even her initial, it seems like interactions with it were kind of like, this is the thing to be with men, Right, and at the end of it, it devastated her, and in ways that I think are both similar to men, but there's also some unique things. I haven't done a massive survey of men and women and their differences with porn, mind you, but uh, that was kind of my thoughts. It was fascinating to me to see in what areas she thought it it had hurt her or it had dehumanized her in a way, and her wrestling with it and how that impacted her at real life sexually, um, with her sexual encounters, whatnot. And I just really appreciated her. Her, her vulnerability on that. So when I saw that, I was like, oh man, we got to talk about this. So that was kind of my initial reactions. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I can, I think I can empathize with a lot of, of that reaction and, and feeling, you know, sorry for her and, and the way that her experiences have been, uh, the way her experience and views and perspective has been uh, damaged by this. But I, um, I, I also felt a little weird and I always feel a little weird in these conversations, not just because pornography is something that I've struggled with, uh, but because it almost seems like, um, I'm going to use some charged language here. 
Uh, but George Carlin, mm-hmm. I think, has a great, great comment about uh, why there's a lot of uh, why abortion is such a big platform stance for a lot of a lot of conservatives. This isn't across the board. This is not a, a whitewashing label. You know, this isn't a full generalization. But basically, the idea is that that uh, unborn babies are like the easiest group to advocate for yeah. because they don't ask anything of you, demand anything of you. They, they don't cost anything. They don't, there's, you don't have to give anything up or take any risk. Yeah. To and as soon as they're born, them. you can ignore them. <laughs> Correct. And they just go through the system. And this is, to me, pornography becomes another really, becomes another target like this. Um, and the, re, like we have entire industries, especially within Christianity, that are built around built around anti-pornography. Like entire industries are built financially on this. And I get that there's some degree of like if you want to if you want to work to bring an end to pornography addiction or sex addiction, like it's cost money, you need to make money, you need to run a business in some way shape or form. But there also is something to be said about those companies if they ever actually accomplish their goal, they don't make money anymore. And that's always a conflict <laughs> yeah. of interest. And I was looking into I was looking into this and I found another article from the independent of a, another sex worker who uh, or, uh, not another a sex worker who brought this up or who who responded to this and said um uh, Master Ruby Bridget, a professional dominatrix and fetish content creator, had this to say on Eilish's comments. Eilish is blaming an entire industry for her warped view of her own sexuality instead of engaging in constructive conversation. First things first, who was allowing a child to watch pornography, least of all hardcore pornography, in her developmental years? To me, that sounds more like a parenting failure as opposed to an issue with adult content. Blame your parents for their lack of supervision, comprehensive sexual education, and parental controls on your computer before you blame an entire genre of media. Um, and another further to describe consensual and compensated work as violence against women and abuse dismisses women in the adult industry and BDSM spheres con- or consent to claim that we are abused, oppressed, or anything other than eager to participate infantilizes us. Adult industry workers aren't always victims despite how people view us. And I would say there are a lot of victims within the adult entertainment industry, a lot of them. And I would say that from the Christian worldview, there are there are bigger consequences and that that and and bigger results or 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 I I guess still consequences but that you can still be a victim of in other words there there are larger consequences than just what happens right here right now um yeah and how you feel in the moment and I think that's where a lot of that comes from but I do think that there's something to be said here about like part of the reason this was so destructive for Billie Eilish was she was a kid the part part of the reason I struggled with it for so long was I I was exposed to it when I was eight. I was the youngest of three kids. My parents both worked full time and had we didn't do a whole bunch of family outings. I I wish I had known I had ADHD when I was a kid because I could have put in better strategies for doing things like taking care of my teeth. My parents did not have the energy every night to make sure I was brushing my teeth. Guess who didn't develop proper habits? Guess who just had a filling replaced for the second time in a month and a half this morning? And my lip is still mm. recovering. I'm still numb in half my mouth. Like this is the, I, I, so I don't say that to say my parents were neglectful. I'm just saying they're human, but there is something to right. be said about like, what is, there is a problem within pornography's effect on people, on their view of sex on the, but there's also something to be said about with her specific experience 
what it did to her in her developmental years, which is what makes it so much harder to to break when you're out of those years because your brain is literally yeah. formed around this habit. I mean, well, let's be honest. Most everybody, and I say most because there could be some that are not. I mean, their porn exposure always happens young. I mean, mm-hmm. mine was young. And of course, the irony is, right, because we're both of you, you and I are sitting here. These are areas of our life, both statistically and just realistically, uh, you and I were both exposed to porn at young ages and wrestled with it as young men, like anybody, religious or not. Um, and of course, my first exposure, no pun intended, was thanks to a Christian relative that had an entire like cabinet full of every Playboy magazine they had subscribed to in Penthouse forever. Of course, imagine the magazine age, right? Before it was just free on your phone. Um, but, you know, I mean, so I was exposed, I was probably 10 or 11, when I saw that, yeah. you're right. It's a developmental period. Now, I mean, I, I I do like the nuance that that dominatrix or what? Can you imagine that on a business card? I'm a bondage fetish, dominatrix fetish uh, content, content creator. creator yeah, I, I, I was just sitting there trying to think about that label. Like that is an interesting job title. But anyway, <laughs> um, wow. I was just my brain was going somewhere else with that. I was about to make a really bad joke. Not anyway. Never mind. I'm glad that you caught yourself. I don't know what you were going to say, but I'm glad you caught yourself. Well, partly I couldn't remember quite what I was going to say either, and that's probably good. So (laughs) thank you for stopping me from saying something stupid. So my point is, though, (laughs) so, I mean, yeah, I I like the nuance to say, yes, it, it is more complicated than just a whole bunch of, quote, evil people producing porn in an you know studio somewhere or in their room and then uploading it and now it's it's ruined the totality of I mean right cuz you're like I mean there is certain forms of neglect not that your parents were intentionally trying to be like whatever but they're they're busy uh, you could argue it's a consequence it was, of it yeah it's just a result it's of it's a that. consequence was I mean was my relative being completely I mean he had him hidden but hidden I mean, yeah, there's nuance to go all the way around. So I, I, I do agree that it is a clarion call not to paint everything with a very broad brush. You are right. There are some people, I'm sure, that are in the pornography industry because they want to, because they enjoy it. And, you know, we don't have to get into debates. So do they really enjoy that? Or have they told themselves they do? I, I cannot read people's motives, right? I can deal with some of the scientific psychological works that, that, you know, studies of people that know more than me are doing on it. But I, I have to be open to the possibility there are people that genuinely enjoy and want to do it. And, and again, depending on your worldview is also going to impact how you would approach this, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, because if independent of some, I mean, this is logic 101, right? I mean, morality and ethics are directly tied into, you know, preceding needs, Right. And so obviously as a Christian, we're coming at it from one perspective that would dictate a certain response to it. And but someone that doesn't have that could have a totally different way of of you know reacting to the data. Right. So I can't look at them like you're all evil trying to ruin people's mm-hmm. lives. Um and so there is something to be said, yeah, why is Billy watching it at that young an age? I think what's fascinating to me is it proves that what statistics are bearing out that women are increasingly seeing it at younger and younger ages, just like men. Yeah, a lot of people thought it was just a man's problem, and now it's becoming a human problem, right? But well, and I I think there's something to be said about Christianity overcorrecting on this too, and or overreacting on it, um, and over overly sexualizing the human body to the point of, like, you know, you watch some documentary about tribes in another 
uh, in another country where the women are topless. And so, do you remember then Christians, they all wanted to get the National or, Geographic spread of, of you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. with the, the 20 gold rings on her neck. And that's the whole, that's the whole thing. I, I, no comment on that. The, the, <laughs> the, but we've over-sexualized it to the point that like, there's a lot of Christians that have no issue and never had an issue with this or that, that have no issue now, but they still struggle to see any form of nudity or skin showing as anything other than overtly sexual. And that's a reckoning that, that Christianity, I, I do think by and large, we need to face because that's an unfair standard to hold the rest of the world to. And it's just not realistic in any way, shape, or form that every single form of nudity is a problem. Like God created your body and there, there is image bearing in it. There is beauty in it. There is an amazing thing to be said about it. And that doesn't have to be a sexual thing. It can just be mm-hmm. a, a, a thing to be celebrated in and of itself, or at the very least to be just not normalized necessarily, but but just to be accepted and in, in understanding in in understanding cultural differences as well. And I that's why I think there's a bigger conversation here than just the impact of porn. I do think the impact of porn yeah. is terrible. I do I would say that that Eilish's exposure to it and her beliefs, there's a lot, there's a lot of there's a lot of this that also goes to what I thought I was supposed to be attracted to those things. What other elements of culture uh, when she says that, what elements of culture also told her that she had to do something a certain way in order to be attractive to or attracted yeah. to to a certain thing? And that is um, and she said she believes watching violent pornography caused her to suffer from sleep paralysis and paralysis and night terrors. I don't know what she classifies as violent here. I'm assuming violent it would be BDSM yeah. and, and fetish like that, that everyone classifies it differently. Um the, but that's something to be said too, because that would accelerate that impact significantly if that's what you're seeing. Yeah. I, without yeah, any sort of context I, or understanding or education. Right. There's a lot of nuances that come in this. And I definitely want to ag- agree with you. The church, in an effort to deal with one very obviously bad thing, has, you know, when you paint with a broad brush again, this is kind of maybe the, the, the takeaway we're going to come with this. They 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 wrap up a whole lot of other things that then become victims of of something. And what I mean by that, like I, I agree with the nudity thing. Uh, you know, shocker alert! If you read Genesis, you do realize that Adam and the woman were naked, right? And I know yeah. some Christians try and argue away. Well, they must have had this little robe of light or whatever. No, that's not in the text. Stop. Uh, and it is not there. That, it's God who asked them. You know, who told you that that you were naked? Like, and who told you that this was a bad thing? Basically, yeah. I mean, he didn't I mean, say that a, specific a, question, but there's that element of like, so like no, right. you and came that, to and this that's, conclusion, and that's hinting towards something else. Yeah, but uh, you know, not exegeting that passage aside, I, I do agree. In an effort to try and deal with bad sexuality or sexuality being abused, we've now added shame of one's body, and in an effort of trying to deal with bad sexuality, we've hypersexualized everything. Um, and and I agree that has unintended consequences in itself, and I think also takes away the ability for people to take us seriously when we have issues with that. Because I, I I have no apology in saying I have a big issue with pornography as a whole, as a genre, as the idea of filming other individuals, or even in the, even before film, the idea of I'm going to sit back and watch people orgies, whatever. I, I think from a 
from my worldview and from perspectives, these things are all very damaging. But at the same time, I think we need to learn ways to talk about why that don't involve using the very thing you're against as a weapon to achieve your end, right? It's like trying to say, well, it causes shame, so I'm going to cause you more shame in this area to stop you from participating in that shame. You can't defeat the thing with the same thing. No, if anything, that shame is what drives them further toward it. Further further into it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I bet you it would surprise us if there was a stat on how many adult industry, you know, sex workers are are actually pastors' kids. And how many of oh, them actually um, came up in a Christian background or a Christian home? You know, how many of them actually were there originally? Well, and then, I, we, I make, and then we make a lot of assessments. Uh, uh, and again, we don't deal with all of the things that feed this stuff. So, for example, I have ministered to, worked with individuals that have gotten into destructive sexual behavior. Maybe it's not necessarily filming themselves, but maybe porn-like behaviors— um, and they're doing it for unresolved trauma in their head about a bad sexual experience or somebody that's taking advantage of them in some way, and they're trying to work through it. And I can't, and I'm not going to assist them or help them get through that by further shaming them into a, in a corner or something. It's it's a cry for help. So again, I, I would agree there's a lot more nuance here. And if we are going to address it, I think the church would be better served, Christians would be better served if instead of just standing up and being like, porn, bad, uh, which makes it really easy for someone like bondage fetish content creator or whatever to stand up and be like, broad brush, bad. And then it's just, we're talking past one another and we're not really dealing with what are the issues, right? Um, and, And Billy's interview kind of hints at some of those. Like you said, what kind of violent porn was she watching? Um, Or, you know, instead of just arguing, no, maybe this is a conversation we need to have. Okay, what is it about certain kinds of porn that are destroying body image or are causing someone to think that they need to give up or at least more readily release their their self... What's the word I'm looking for? Their... um, Ah, blast, I just forgot the word. Self-worth, self-image... Self-esteem? Uh, well, no, no. I'm talking about their, like, not free will, but their agency. Thank you. Good grief. You're welcome. Um, I, you know, the, I, I credit. Thank very, you, mom. Big, thank you, dad, for raising me and helping me help Henry find that word. Big, big help. Big help. But no, yeah. What, what is it about it that makes people want to feel more easily to give up their agency? Because she made a very interesting comment. She said it made me willing to accept things. Or maybe yep. she didn't use the word willing, but more readily to accept things that I wouldn't have otherwise, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's a conversation, but again, people don't like it probably, especially in Christian circles, because A, to talk about it in this nuance, you would have to admit that you had struggled with it. And as much as we hate it, nobody wants to admit that 99% of people have dealt with it and the other 1% are lying, right? So if I, as a pastor, started talking about, well, we all know when you watch porn, there's a certain thing that happens, and they'd be like, ah, he's seen porn! Well, Spoiler alert, yes, and a lot of it. I'm not saying that's great, but I'm at a point now where it's like, can we at least talk about it and make something good come out of it instead of me just being like, I've watched porn. (laughs) Okay, I've watched porn. Yeah. You know, I mean, my teen years were consumed with it and college as well, not pretty. But my point is, so I do know a thing, but so let's just use that knowledge and talk about it. There is certain things in pornography, right, where especially when it comes to, to women, and I know, you know, not having been a purveyor of a lot of gay porn or whatever, I can't I can't speak to maybe the same things happening in other ways. But as a heterosexual man, some of the takeaways I took, 
that there is a way where it's more the man is in control and the woman doesn't have a lot of agency in what happens. And I'm sure both consciously and subconsciously that's communicating things that maybe got Billy to a point where she goes, well, I don't have a lot of say in this. Right. Mm. And I'm sure there's probably dominatrix fetish creator content that would turn around and go, well, that's not the case. There's a lot of us that feel like we still have agency and it's not as giving it up so much as trusting what, okay, fine. But that's a conversation we're not having because we're either burn it all, right? Burn the witches, you know, or, you know, or we're hiding trying to act like it's not an issue or none of us have had experiences with it. So we can't have nuanced conversations to get at the root of what's really the problem. Yes, mm-hmm. porn is a problem, but I can't just be like, it's because two people are having sex on a camera. Yeah. Uh, I mean, why is having sex on a camera? Be- we don't get to that level. And, no, and there's a lot of damage all the way around that needs to be addressed. I remember when I was teaching for a year, I was I was working as an assistant chaplain at a, at a Christian academy high school, and pornography would come up quite frequently in class discussions. And I remember like every time it came up, someone would inevitably make a joke or someone would, would rib at someone else saying, ah, you must watch it, whatever. And, you know, for a comment made, but what was interesting to me and I hadn't, it hadn't clicked in my mind until then, but like the shame associated with, for a lot of people for that, that do struggle with it, they, the shame is actually visible. Like like in those discussions, I could almost tell you with 100% certainty who in that room was struggling with it or who at least had their self-worth damaged by it and was feeling shame from it because um, th- there was just a look on your face. There was a way you spoke. There was a, there was your language, your body language. Everything changed around the way that you were talking about this topic as a, as a high school student. And it was tragic because students would make those jokes at other students and and I would do my best to ground them without also then re-shaming the student that shames someone else um, because I don't want one student to go further into shame at the expense of another. And there, there's just – the impact of it is real, and our inability to talk about it is making it worse. And mm-hmm. that, I think, is because there's still so much shame involved in this and because of this fear that if we even name the thing, it's going to you know, it's gonna bring it take to reality over. and it's going to take over – it's already it taken already has, over. by the way. Like I don't know what to tell <laughs> yeah. you. I have fr- I have friends that I grew up with. They they one of them was a, a teacher who taught second grade and was dealing with students sexting in class. Second graders, okay. I like I don't know what to tell you other than it has taken over. And there's you not talking about it is not. And the other thing I would say is balancing the conversation to say yes, this is a bad thing, but that doesn't mean you are bad. Um, mm-hmm. that is another important facet of the conversation. We go down this road of, of shaming people by telling them what the, what the ultimate worst possible case scenario is for someone who watches pornography based on whatever studies we've read. We say, this is what happens and this is the damage it causes. And this is, it's kind of the same thing that dare used to do with drugs and showing you pictures of, of what drugs do on the body. Um, I don't know of very many people that didn't do drugs because of those pictures. I don't know what to tell you. It's like this. It's like this anti-smoking uh, ad council ads in yes. the '90s. Remember when the, the guy would go to kiss the girl that lit up, and she her face turned into an ashtray or whatever. And it yeah, was, yep. It's yeah, like yeah, I don't yeah, think I, I went those. out to the to the to the spring dance and didn't kiss the girl because I was like, ah, she's an ashtray. Yeah. I mean, you know, it just that doesn't that doesn't restoring value, restoring worth, and restoring the kind of importance of sex without overly drama you know without overly celebrating it to the point that 
for a lot of for a lot of people when they get married, if they did everything quote right in the church, you can find stories story after story of this of women and men both who had to go into counseling, especially women who had to start going into counseling and they had to do couples counseling because the second that they had sex after they got married and waiting their whole life for it, their self-worth was completely trashed because their entire life they'd mm-hmm. grown up believing that they were some that this was something to be protected. And if you lose it, your worth is gone too. The trampled rose, vir- the trampled doll. Now the, you your know, virginity whatever. is gone. So once and it's so used is once, your worth. worthless. Yeah. And, and you're, you're, it's a transactional item. Yeah. And you have well, to undo the to psychological point. damage. Well, yeah. And, th- and that's where, again, people would be scared that I say this. I, I, I really think the church both has misunderstood sexuality, obviously, and this is just another example of an issue when we talk about it that it proves we're off base. But what I, I'm at a point now where I wish I could have a conversation as a church where people like let's, I keep bringing her up because she's the only one you, you mentioned this dominatrix fetish content creator. Maybe just because I find yeah. it amusing to say that as a job title. But right, if I'd had that conversation where I go, yeah, I'm sure porn is fun. I'm sure BDSM is fun. I'm sure to a certain extent a lot of these sexual things that are being portrayed on the screen are fun. As a Christian, I don't deny that it's fun. I want to stop sitting there and just pointing fingers and going, oh, that's horrible. Well, I, I think in some ways it is, but it, it's not a blanket like the whole time you feel like needles are getting shoved in you and you're, you know, it sounds like a bad BDSM episode. But my point yeah, is- this is this. You can tell how unfamiliar uh, even we are with this because of a- With that, it just was up. not my- That's what I'm it saying. It's just not my content. That's, but, but that's so, even so, it's just like the whole conversation was stigmatized. So how you have to figure out how to how do we navigate even this. Yeah, you you're not going to sit in a small group and be like, well, I was actually into animal on human porn. Oh, really? Yeah. So tell us what the difference is to that. To that. You know, people are like, what? Yeah. You know, you're that's not going to have that conversation. Um, but but, but I'm trying to say is what if the church came at it? We're like, I'm sure that's fun. I'm sure there's, quote, great elements to it. But we think you're not having a good enough sexuality. Well, I need to be careful. That term also means something else. But you're not enjoying sex to its fullest. Um, the body is not being enjoyed to its full. I think people wouldn't know what to do if we came at it like that. Like, well, yeah, the Bible does talk about certain things. It doesn't get into positions and whatever else. Um, because I think even the Bible knew that was none of its business. But I'm just saying that's the Song of Sutra. Uh, that's what that book is. That the for the, the, song, the, for the, the song of song. Sadly, interestingly enough, the one book that both Christians and Judaism ignores, uh, the Jews, it was considered the book of songs, commonly called the Song of Solomon, which is a, it's a whole ballad about intimacy between two individuals, the Shulamite, and we believe Solomon, but we don't know for sure. Uh, you know, they viewed it as so holy, they wouldn't even touch it, but maybe once a year, mm. which sounds like some Christian marriages. Oh, mm. okay. Anyway, but... Mm, but yeah, it, it's funny to me that for sexuality being such a big issue, the, the church doesn't talk about it at all, or at least only in the negative. And I'm like, well, the Bible seemed to already knew there's a whole book dedicated to it. But when was the last time you had a sermon series on that? Or at least somebody doing it that wasn't awkward, like, yeah, ladies and your clothing tempts a man. Like, you know, and again, that hyper shame culture of we're going to do all this to scare you away from the worst thing. No, I, I, but I, I honestly do believe the Bible's ideal for sexual intimacy is so much better than what pornography offers. But that's, again, a nuanced conversation that we're not having because we're just going, bad, don't talk about it, shame. Mm-hmm. And 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 so, again, kind of what brought this up, I, I applaud Billy for, you know, 
dumping some of that shame in her own life to be able to come to grips with her own experience with it by talking about it. And, and I think that is an experience that should be affirmed and modeled by people of faith and people not of faith. And, and once we begin to destigmatize and deal with the shame, then we can have nuanced conversations about, is there anything good in this industry? Is there bad things in this industry? What what does porn say about X, and can we agree with that? Or is there a counter-narrative we'd like to, to say to that, right? Instead of just saying porn is bad, what is porn saying about the role of a woman? Or maybe I should get more specific. What does this genre of porn say about it? Or mm-hmm. not, right? I'm sure there's something we could say about what does the male body say? I was going to say, LGBTQ that's the plus same. Porn. Yep. I mean, same thing. I mean, but these are these are nuanced conversations that can't be had so long as it stays the purview of shame and guilt tripping. Yep. We're, I, we're just never going to get there. I say I would say two things because I want to get a little bit I, I want to end on a really practical note, which I think we have been pretty practical as far as like what we what some of the problem areas are specifically. But I, I, w- I would say two things. If you're wanting to evaluate this, the the state of the conversation in your church, school, wherever, I think a good question to to maybe ask is if someone from the adult film industry were were to walk into these church doors today, curious about what we believe in wanting to know, and they happen to walk in on a conversation about this topic, would they still want to stay? Would it be something that they could actually sit through and not feel like you were attacking them the entire time and not feel like they were they were the object of scorn and they should feel shame for whatever. If someone came into your church doors with this background, how would they feel? I think that's a, that's, that's a, a good way. That's a good question to ask with the, especially with the existence of things like OnlyFans, which by the way, OnlyFans exists outside of pornography too. It was actually first started as a competitor to Patreon and turned into what it is, but OnlyFans made and live cam and streaming sites have made it a, accessible to the every person in a way that it never was before. And that also comes with yeah. a lot of disre- you know, no lack of regulations. But I think that would be the, the, the first question I would ask if I wanted to evaluate the state of that, that conversation in my own four walls and in my own life is if someone with that background were to walk in looking for acceptance and wanting to know more about what I believe, would they, would they feel like they were safe to stay? Yeah, I mean, this is true of anything. Start with yourself and then ask about the visitor. When you talk about X topic, in this case, XXX, right, porn, um, does your conversation welcome clarity or cliche? Mm-hmm. Because I found in non-safe situations, people resort to cliche. Either they, they guess really quick what everybody's saying and repeat the same statement, like, yeah, porn, bad, whatever, you know, or, you know, the same joke or the same whatever, right? Clarity versus cliche is 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 how you're going to know you're really getting into safe territory for conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I would say here and and I love that clarity versus cliche. I think that's great and I think um I think you know, are the people in your church approaching this from a perspective of or your group approaching this from a perspective of open to learning and understanding more or have they come to the conclusions they have and that's it, which tends to be quite common in Christianity across the board anyway. Um, but the second thing that I would say is I really would love to see more pastors consulting with, with mental health professionals, therapists, counselors who specialize in this stuff, because one thing is consistently true. If, if I'm going to bring it up again, cause I brought it up earlier, but it's, I think there's parallels here. 
it's already been proven that the number one way to reduce abortions is to increase access to contraceptives and sex education across the board. Like, like there's so like a comprehensive approach to that has reduced abortions in everywhere that it's actually been implemented. And I really believe that if we want to make an impact in this area of life with pornography, a similar approach in regard to the openness of the conversation and education and a in a way of doing it that doesn't shame that does that actually does restore value for those experiencing shame and gives people safety to experience life how they've experienced it because and we've done we did an episode a long time ago on innocence versus um um was it innocence versus naivety i think or i, f- I forget what the other um, I can't remember the title. Purity. In- innocence we... versus purity. Uh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how yeah, yeah. innocence, your exposure to something and you being innocent to it, that can be taken from you, but purity can always be recaptured. Someone can take away your innocence, but no one can take away your purity. That's a decision that you make. And that is something that I think very much carries through here. And so I, I, I do, I would love to see more mental health professionals being included and consulted on in these conversations for for how these conversations and education can take place in their churches, for both parents, for for adult supervisors, for kids, for teenagers, um, across the board in safe and encouraging ways. And there's a lot of pre-work that has to get that has to be done to prepare the yeah. church for those conversations anyway. But oh, man. Those if I had unlimited money, I would I would definitely put a clinical therapist on staff at the church, hands down. I, I think that'd be the next staff hire we had. Yeah, as long as you have a you know. really, really high um, conflict or really, really robust conflict of interest and confidentiality uh, policy around it too, because well, there they is, still, yeah, they they still yeah. have to follow the guideline. I mean, if they're licensed, they're going to have rules still. Yeah. I, I don't mean like, haha, now they get to talk about it with the other pastor. I just mean, I recognize, and I'm glad that churches, most mainstream denominations, are moving more to giving actual basic therapy courses to pastors now because they realize everyone goes to us because we're free and don't have a stigma attached to us so much. Yeah. Um, but I like to say, I know just enough to be a danger. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know just enough. I, I'm a general practitioner. I should only know enough to refer. I listen for a few minutes and then go, okay, you need this therapist to go talk to them. Yeah. Uh, because I don't have enough malpractice insurance for the damage I'm going to do to your life if I try and fix it. All right, but that's what I'm saying. I wish I had one on staff where I could just be like, schedule an appointment with them or they can refer you to it. I think that'd be awesome. Can you imagine if churches were the center of, hey, we got some you know, st- therapists on staff you can talk to? Yeah, well, and the other side of and that not- too is, yeah, the the financial subsidizing of this because a lot of these aren't covered by insurance um, yeah. or even if they are, it's still very, very costly. And I think there is, I wish that there were more church budgets that had a, at least a line item dedicated to subsidizing some form of therapy with high accountability um, to say like, we will pay X amount, you know, we'll cover 50% or we'll cover 25% or whatever that number needs to be based on church resources. But you have to prove that you're attending regularly, that that money is going to this or, you know, whatever, like that has to be, whether that's a yeah. regular letter signed by your therapist, whether that's, you know, whatever that needs to be. Um, I, I would love to see more. Um, I would love to see more financial support because that is a big, that's been a big thing for me with counseling and therapy is like the cost of it. Um, when I've had mm-hmm. other physical issues that are 
that are immediate as far as like the the consequences of them or like the effects of them uh, with back pain, nerve problems, whatever, that it's like I need to devote all of my my medical budget toward fixing these really immediate things. And then the mental things that don't have the seemingly immediate effects or visibly alarmingly yeah, immediate effects. Yeah, without that urgency, it's it's hard to prioritize it. And I so that's that would be another suggestion there. But I, you know, I you've got to evaluate where you are in your own church environment, what is possible with the culture you're in and what what change you can bring to that conversation, too. I think all of that's important. You've already seen in this episode, we're openly talking about this, and both of us have kind of either danced around certain things or been very obviously uncomfortable with certain parts of the conversation because even we're not used to it. And we're here sitting here openly having a conversation about it with our faces attached to it. So this is something that all of us are struggling through and having to face. And I think it's something that we need to face together. So, Henry, anything you want to add before we before we close out here? Uh, just, you know, you don't have to feel shame. You are not garbage, right? You are mm-hmm. human. And as humans, we have dealt with this. And porn is a fact of life. And I just apologize in advance for whatever religious experience you've had where you've been made to feel belittled or stupid because you have gone through that experience. Whatever the pros and cons, or if there are pros and cons or whatever, of pornography, everyone, including the ones in the shot and those consuming the shot, are humans worthy of value, respect, and the time invested for nuanced conversations about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of their involvement or their consumption of it. Yeah. And I'm sorry that we have not, uh, we, we've failed you in being able to really unpack some of these things so there can be true healing, there can be true um, self-worth and value because, right, your value is determined not by the hands that want to touch you or about the sex acts that you perform or the sex acts that you observe, right? It's, it's determined by the hands that made you. Uh, and as a Christian, we believe God you know, ordained your existence, you have infinite value, therefore, and I'm sorry that we have failed to communicate that in our zeal for being very quick to condemn something else. And so mm-hmm. I'm just, hold us accountable, and thank you for your patience. Absolutely. Yeah, and if anyone uh, has suggestions for topics or wants us to revisit this or dive into a specific facet of it a little bit more, please let us know. Um, I Just off of our last couple episodes, I've gotten a number of, of episode suggestions that I thought were really great, and, and I'm excited to, to... I haven't shared them all with Henry yet, but I'm excited to... Uh, and to dive into them as we're planning ahead for 2022. So yeah, please let us know. We hope everyone has a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to you, uh, whatever you're celebrating. And if there, if this is a darker holiday for you because of tragic events, family issues, whatever it may be, hey, know that you're not alone. For the last 10 years, I've been going to Christmas without my dad. Um, and it never gets easier. So I want you to know you are not alone in that struggle and you are just as important and valued this holiday season as anyone else is. Um, And know that we're praying for you, whether these are happy holidays or uh, more melancholy ones. We want you to know you're loved. We appreciate you uh, watching and uh, listening to the show. And we'll see you next week. 